grow from what God's Word has to offer. Sound good? Yeah? All right, if you got a Bible, turn with me to John 4. John chapter 4, it's in the New Testament. And fun fact, this is actually my first Bible given to me when I gave my life to Jesus. This thing's like sophomore year of high school old, so six years old. I don't even know how old I am since sophomore year of high school. But this is my first Bible, so it's all marked up and old. But I just felt like reading out of this version. I'll be reading out of the NASB version. So we'll have it on the screens. If you don't got it, it's all good. We're going to start in verse 6. We're going to read a chunk of scripture and then break it down. So just bear with us. Thankfully, it's a story. It's easy to follow. Jesus is at this well. He's tired after a long journey. He decides to sit down at a well. This is where we pick up in verse 6. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. He most likely sent them out. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, our ancestor, are you? Who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered him, answered her, and said, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, and you'll come all this way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. An hour is coming. That's a term of endearment, okay? He's not saying, Woman. It's a term of endearment. Woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You won't have to go to a temple. You won't have to go to a church. God will be with you. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jump down to verse 28. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. That is not the Christ, is it? Are you still with me after reading all that? Yeah? You still awake? Okay. Good. The longer I've been an adult, which isn't very long, I guess, but the longer I've been an adult, the more I realize there's, there's really, really one key attribute you really don't want to be identified with. There's really one character trait you really don't want to inherit if you want to be successful. 
One of these things is, is the character trait of being somebody who's a quitter. In society, you really don't like people who quit very often. We really don't look up to people who give up easily, unless it's a very toxic lifestyle or really hard drugs or something that's ruining your body. Being a quitter is usually not a good thing. You know, I think in a conversation, when you're getting to know somebody, when you ask them, hey, what do you do? They would respond, yeah, um, you know, I go to school, uh, I work here and there, and I'm just like a quitter. I just give up, you know, everything I kind of put my hand to. Or if you were in a job interview and you were asked by the interviewer, what makes you qualified for this position? You say, well, you know, I don't really stick around often. I quit. I quit everything I do. I uh, quit school, quit sports. I uh, quit my last job. We'll probably quit this job, too. Being a quitter isn't something that's very admirable. And one area of my life that I've consistently quit in, I get up here each week and I just tell you guys the like, weirdest, craziest details that I would never tell anybody, but I love you, so I tell you. But the one detail of my life, that, uh, the one area I consistently have quit in is like organized sports, okay? I cannot stick with organized sports for the life of me. Uh, from a very early age, I just quit every single sport I did. I started with water polo. I know that's probably why I ended up quitting all the rest of them, is if you start with water polo. Who, never mind. Too much chlorine in my eyes, okay? Just, it was miserable. And then the next thing was baseball. The pants were too tight, and it's just dirty, okay? There's dirt everywhere. You're just sliding all around in it. Don't like that. Um, the next thing was basketball. You know what? Zero points all season, seventh grade. A lot of assists, though. I'll tell you that. I learned very early on, organized sports were just not my thing, probably why I took up skateboarding and a bunch of other things that were not organized. But all this to say, I find with physical loneliness, if we're honest with ourselves, if we really search our hearts, I find that when facing physical loneliness, the root very often we face in life is the root of we give up in different areas. We give up different aspects. We give up in different areas of our lives. If you're taking notes, that, that's what I'm going to call our conversation for tonight. I've given up. See, physical loneliness can come from a, a plethora of giving up things. And from our narrative tonight, from our story, from this woman we read about, we're going to read and, and look at how she gave up, how she gave up in different aspects. And the desire tonight is to communicate where you may be in your physical loneliness, if that's something you're facing, and maybe an area of your life that you've just given up without even knowing it. There's so often, unless we search our hearts, unless we really take time to think, we can't realize what we've actually given up in life. And so if you're taking notes, I, the first thing that I believe leads to physical loneliness, the first thing that we're very quick to give up on, is when we give up on others. When we give up on others. See, if you jump back down to verse 4, verse 6 in chapter 4, we see a very interesting narrative being played out. And if you're not familiar with scripture, this is a really weird scene. What's a Samaritan? What's this well? Who the heck is Jacob? Why is Jesus asking for a drink of water from this woman? She's just trying to get some water. What is going on? Well, if you understand this story, this woman brings up two very important things. And right off the bat, it's a specific behavior she establishes. The first thing is she says, and that's noted, is that they're at the well at the sixth hour. In modern language, that's just, they're there in the afternoon. It's the hottest part of the day. People, it's not like you could just, like, go fill up your hydro flask on, like, tap water. Just be like, ooh, we're good. You had to, like, actually hike to go get water, like many developing countries today. And you would hike and walk very far. It was very often the woman's job to do this, to go get water. You carry this really heavy jug. It was really uncomfortable. And usually women would come in the very early morning of the day. They wouldn't come at the hottest part of the day. 
So why is this woman hiking for so long? Why is she carrying such a heavy jug in the hot sun? Well, what I've realized with this story is that it's most likely because she just wants to be left alone. Most often, people would come, as I said, in the early part of the morning to get out of the heat. It was cool of the day. And this woman decides to go against that. This woman decides to intentionally go on her own to the point where she is alone. And it's just her and Jesus. And then the second thing is Jesus asks her for water. He's sitting at this well. It's just the two of them. And then what happens is something interesting. He asks for water, and she says, why would I give you water? I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jewish man. Long story short, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. There was so much racial tension between these two racial groups that they could not stand the sight of one another. In one uh, of the gospel accounts in Luke, Jesus goes into a town in Samaria, and they treat him so poorly that they kick him pretty much out of the town. They tell him, we don't want to hear what you have to say. You're a Jewish man. Get out of here. That his disciples say, hey, Jesus, do you like want to call down a drone strike on this town real quick? We could just do it. We could just pray right now. Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. I don't know about you, but if I asked to call in a drone strike on somebody, I don't know if we're like the best of friends, okay? So this is this tension they're living in. There's a Samaritan woman. There's a Jewish man. Historically, relationally, culturally, they're not supposed to be in the same place at the same time, let alone a Jewish man striking up a conversation with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman for this culture, so it's very strange, and I think we can read this story, and we can begin to think, oh, man, this, this poor Samaritan woman, there's just this power dynamic going on, and Jesus is just a man, so he's powerful, and she's a woman, and she's just like, no, no, no I don't, I don't want to talk. When that's not the reality, the truth is, this Samaritan woman probably dislikes Jews on the average scale that a Jew would dislike Samaritans. And even this moment, Jesus is asking for her for a drink of water, and her response is, why, why, why are you asking me? I just, I obviously want to be, anyone feel this way? Like, you're walking with your headphones in, you're maybe like stomping through campus, you're maybe skating through campus, and then like people are like trying to strike up a conversation with you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, dude, I obviously have my headphones in, I'm obviously like walking very quickly, I'm late to something, why are you talking to me right now? It can feel like that in this moment. This woman's like, I obviously came here alone, I obviously don't want to be around anybody, and here you are asking me for water. It's this equal resentment. See, this woman was very quick to put up walls between her and, and this person she just met, the, this individual. She has no idea who he is. All she does is she looks at the external. She sees what he looks like, sees what he's wearing most likely, and decides, I don't like this guy. I want, I want to put up distance between him and I. And I find as people, it's, it's very easy for us, if the past few years have not displayed this already, it's very easy for us to highlight what we don't have in common rather than what we do have in common. This is just the human condition. It's just the human condition. I mean, if we were honest with ourselves as people, we just like want to hang out with people and be friends with people who are just like different iterations of us. You know what I'm saying? Like they listen to all the same music as us. They kind of dress similar to us. It's kind of natural human tendency. It's very easy as humans to just put up walls, put up the differences, put up on the external, and not really ever invest in anyone beyond what we may see. That's exactly how this woman treats this situation. And as we read and as we're going to explain this, this woman is most likely in pain. This woman is most likely suffering through something, whether it's shame, whether it's guilt, whether it's just culturally she feels shamed. We, we don't know, and we'll read about it, but 
It's easy to isolate yourself from others. It's easy to look at the differences, the cons in others when you're in pain. It's easy to look at the negatives in people when you've experienced so much of that. It's easy to distance yourself from people. But my friends, the call as a follower of Jesus is to extend the invitation, is to extend the offer of community, is to extend the ability to look past the external, to look past the differences, and to confide in the similarities of the beauty that in this space tonight, they are in a room of people, and looking at you guys, everyone's so different, and knowing your guys' stories, you all come from so many different backgrounds, and the beauty of following Jesus is that no matter the background, no matter the culture, no matter the race, no matter the history, no matter your upbringing, no matter what side of town of Albuquerque you grew up on, we all have one commonality. We have one thing we desire, one thing that makes us like-minded and following Jesus. See, this, that's the call of Jesus. I love the way Proverbs 22, 9 through 11 puts it. Let me read it to you. One who is generous will be blessed because he gives some of his food to the poor. Drive out the scoffer and strife will leave. Even quarreling and dishonor will cease. One who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. Are we gracious with our speech? Are we, are we gracious when meeting people? You see, life is so much more full when we interact with people who don't look anything like us. Life is so much more full when we interact with others who don't come from the same backgrounds as us. Can I be honest? My, my initial attraction to be friends with somebody is usually if they're outgoing, if I don't talk over them the whole time. But I've learned in my life that it's so much more beautiful to sit and listen to others and see what their stories have to offer. The next thing is this, that we face physical loneliness when we give up on ourselves, when we give up on ourselves. See, we read in the middle of this story, this very strange moment, if, if you follow it, they're asking for, she's asking about getting water for Jesus, then Jesus changes the subject, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, yeah, go get your husband, and she says, I don't have a husband, then he calls her out and says, yeah, you, got, you had five, and the one you're with now isn't your husband. It's kind of an awkward moment. It's kind of a very strange moment. So what's the meaning of Jesus' five-husband claim? What's the point of this? Well, if we understand the culture at this time and maybe this woman's scenario, these five husbands she's had, there's two things that could have happened to them. They could have all died, or they could have all divorced her, or a mix of both of them. See, for this time in this era, a woman couldn't decide to divorce a man. It was always the man's choice. So anytime a woman was divorced, it was because the man didn't think she was good enough. The man didn't care for her. Maybe the woman committed adultery. Maybe the man found another woman, left this woman for that woman. It was always the man's choice. And it was either an assortment of these two things of either her husband's passed away, maybe all five of them, maybe not, or they may have divorced her. It's more likely that these husbands divorced her and maybe a few died. And then Jesus says something very interesting. He says, the one whom you are with now is not your husband. It's not your husband. See, at this time in this era, you didn't live with somebody. You weren't sexually intimate with somebody unless they're your husband. It was looked down upon in any regard to ever live with somebody outside of marriage. And so what this woman is communicated to by this man she is seeing, by this man she is with, this man could either be somebody else's husband, she's committing adultery with him, or this man is just simply using her for her body as an object. 
This man is simply looking at this woman saying, I don't respect you enough to marry you. I don't respect you enough to commit to you, but I respect you enough to sleep with you, I guess. And that's all this woman's used to. That's all this woman understands in her situation. And I read this, this woman's words, and this woman just seems exhausted by her guilt and her shame. She seems exhausted by what her life has turned out to be. She's either been left or abandoned so many times. She's probably come to the point of what's the use? Five husbands deep, why, not, why do I need to make it six? Why do I even need to try again? Why do I even give my heart to somebody one more time? That all they want me for is this one thing regardless, so that's my, might as well what I give them. She's given up on herself. She's given up on her value. She's given up on her dreams. She's given up on her identity. It doesn't tell us anything about that, but I, but I like to always think what was going through this woman's life. She was a person. She had dreams. She had desires. She, she had goals in her life. She had things given to her by God. And through this cycle of the five husbands, through this cycle of this guilt and shame, it seems like it's all for naught. It seems like it doesn't matter. My friends, are, are you feeling the weight of your mistakes tonight? Better yet, are you, are you feeling the weight of the things that happened to you because it was somebody else's mistake? It was something somebody else did that they shouldn't have done and it happened to you. And you may be in here tonight and you may tell yourself, well, I'll never, never be more than fill in the blank. You'll never be more than the failed marriage. You'll never be more than the abortion. You'll never be more than the abuse. You'll never be more than the failed career. And so often when we're in pain and we experience things that happen to us, this is the mindset and this is what our conscience tells us. Yeah, you're no better than this. This, this is where you're at. This is the level you have been at. This is who you are now. But here's the good news, my friends, is Jesus offers hope in the midst of that pain, hope in the midst of missing that identity, hope in the midst of that turmoil. See, the hope is this, there's opportunity in the midst of struggle, there's opportunity in the midst of failure for growth, there's opportunity in the midst of wrongdoing for purpose. See, in scripture it talks about this phrase of having mercy on the brokenhearted. And we think of this phrase, we may think of people who don't have it right in our society, people who don't have it all together, and we think of more of a phrase of patronizing or empathizing with them. See, to have mercy isn't to sympathize or patronize, but to identify with others. And I don't know about you, but last time I checked, there's a lot of hurt in the world. There's a lot of brokenhearted in the world. And apart from Jesus, the only meaning our pain has is statistics. The only meaning our pain has is just suffering and pain. But with Christ, we get to identify with others. And it doesn't make what happened to us okay. It doesn't make what we did okay, but it gives it purpose and it gives it meaning. And this is what Jesus has to offer despite us giving up on ourselves. And the last thing is this. This brings us to our last idea. When facing physical loneliness, the last thing we might as well have given up on could be assortment of these things. But when we give up on God, it's when we give up on God. We'll have the band call, come back up. See, this whole interaction, this woman is doing whatever it takes. If you kind of read between the lines, if you kind of understand the context, she's doing whatever it takes to push Jesus away. She doesn't want anything to do with him. She says, I don't know why you're talking with me. I don't know why you want water. I, 
again, she came here obviously alone. She doesn't desire to be talking with anybody, and she does whatever it takes to push him away. But Jesus won't have it. Jesus isn't going anywhere. Despite the circumstance, despite the words, he's sitting down right next to her. He's not going anywhere. See, for the phrase of this month and for October, I feel like the Lord has been communicating this phrase to me, and it comes up in different ways. I feel this phrase is, God is not finished. God is not finished. Yeah, well, you can say amen to that. I think so often in my life and in my circumstances and what I experience and what I go through and what's gone on in my own heart and my own life, I can look at the grand scheme of the damage so far. I can look at the grand scheme of what I've faced so far. And I can say each time, each time I sin, each time I mess up, each time I do the wrong thing, I say, yep, that's it. Looks like the graces ran out. Looks like my story's over. Looks like God can't use me anymore. I've kind of sinned too much. I've kind of messed it all too, too much. But every single time this month, when I haven't said the right thing, when I haven't done the right thing, this phrase, I, I feel by the Holy Spirit, has been communicated to me, repeated in my head, God's not finished. God's not finished. It's, it's, it's the whole theme of this book. Despite circumstances, despite situation, God's not finished. God's not done yet. In this situation, this woman, she's trying to push away Jesus. Like, if she probably could, she'd like probably try to physically push him away. She doesn't want anything to do with him. Until he steps into her circumstance, until he steps into what she's experiencing, and she realizes that God's not disappointed with her. God's not ashamed of her. But God sees her in the midst of it. Her, her whole life, if you do the math from when she was probably married when she was 13 or 15, to now, she's, she's been told that she's not good enough. She's been told that she's not enough in any area. She's been, she's been abandoned. She's been left. But for the first time in her probably whole life, a man stuck around for her. A man sat next to her, looked her in the eyes, desired her, looked at her for more than what she may have to offer him. See, my friends, that's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of grace is that Jesus sits across from us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of us giving up. Listen, I don't care if you've given up all three of those things tonight. I don't care if your friend dragged you here and told you, you know what, I need you to come with me because I don't want to go alone and there's a bunch of weird people here, so I just need to go, but I need you to come with me. I don't care if that's the case. You may be feel like you're the farthest individual in this room from God. Been there, been there. I want to communicate to you tonight, my friends. Jesus isn't looking down upon you, but looking across to you. He's seeing past your mistake. He's seeing past your sin. He's seeing past these things, and, he, and he's desiring you. And that's the beauty of grace, is that for every reason, Jesus could have nothing to do with this woman. He could just go on his way. He's like, I got lepers to heal, and I got to go like flip over tables in the temple. I got time for you, lady. But somebody who just seems insignificant, she, he's willing to sit in the midst of He's willing to sit across from her. And so tonight, I think many of us in this room, and we think God is not willing to do that with us. We think we've done too many things, too many times, messed up too much, given up too many times. And we may have given up, but God has not. God has not given up on you. And if I have one thing to communicate, if, if you don't listen to a thing I say, you say, this guy's got jeans on with his shirt tucked in, he looks like John Wayne. There's got one thing I gotta tell you tonight. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. You may be in the worst season of your life, and I'm telling you in tears, my friends, God's not finished. 
And I'm living proof. I'm standing here today, being in those chairs, being in your seat, experiencing what I've experienced, running so far away from the Father, running so far away when I knew better and feeling like he wants nothing to do with me, that he's done, it's over. God's not finished. You may feel physically lonely because everyone's left you in your life. You may feel physically lonely because you can't keep friends around. You may feel physically lonely because your boyfriend or girlfriend may have just broken up with you, but God's not finished with you. Everyone else may be, but God is not. And so in closing tonight, I just want to ask you, where have you given up? Where has been an area of your life, if you're honest tonight, you don't have time to, to think about tomorrow, you don't have time to maybe I'll schedule, pen into my calendar next week, tonight, if you were to be honest with yourself, where have you given up? Have you given up on yourself? Have you taken the value that's placed on your life, that you're an image bearer of God, made in his image, and devalued that? You've given up on that. You've devalued yourself. Maybe you've given up on others. Maybe you think people have hurt you too many times. Maybe people think that you've done too much, so you decide that you're out. You're just kind of going to coast it. You're an introvert. You're, you're over that. You don't need to show up to stuff like this. Oh, whatever. I don't need to talk with people. I'm, I'm solo. Maybe you've given up on God. <laughs> Maybe you're done. Maybe you've grown up in religion. You got hurt by religion. A lot of people have. But here's the beauty. I, I, didn't, I didn't exposit this, but in the last verse... In the last section, she asks, I'm used to worshiping on a mountain. I'm used to worshiping in a temple. What are you talking about this Messiah? And he, and he tells her, there will come a day, and there's a day right now, standing in the flesh, God of creation. There's a day right now. You don't have to go to a temple. You don't, you don't have to set a location that due to relationship before religion you don't have to be alone. You don't have to suffer through your mistakes and wait all week to go to temple to sacrifice an animal for all that you've done that week. That through relationship, for those who earnestly seek in spirit and in truth can encounter God. This is that promise fulfilled. That no matter where you're at, whether there's keys going on in the background, whether you're in the parking lot over here, whether you're on central, you can encounter the presence of the holy living God and you can encounter what he has to offer by his spirit, my friends. That is great news. So I just want to ask you tonight, what have you given up? And despite it all, your answer, it varies, and I really do want us to ask that question. I just want to remind you, God has not. Whatever thing it may be, God has not given up on you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just this group of young adults. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for these people. Lord, we just feel the, your presence moving tonight. We just feel you, Lord, just making a difference. Deciding to set into our hearts to, to make a change, Jesus. Lord, I pray for my friends in this place who are ready for a change. Who are ready to be identified for more than their mistakes. Who are, who are looking for an opportunity to get things right with you that they made tonight. Lord, they may search their hearts, and if they feel physically alone because they've isolated and distanced themselves from everybody, Lord, reunite them with your heart. Reunite them with a vision, with, with a perspective that's heavenly, that they may see others as you see them, God. Lord, we need help. This life is tough, God. Allow us to not build walls between us, Lord. Allow us to not distance ourselves from you, Jesus. Allow us to draw near to you, God.
We pray that tonight. An earnest prayer, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all. Let's stand for worship.